Hello, welcome to Unrefined Women Podcast. I'm your co-host, Margaret. And I'm your other co-host, Agnes, and we are an ongoing dialogue between two sisters on the topics of spirituality, religious trauma, mental health, family, and feminism. Today, we have another guest on our show, Sarah Bueno. Sarah Bueno, LCSW, and basically a whole bunch of other letters from the alphabet because that's how qualified she is, is a speaker, teacher, therapist, and the founder and president of Head Heart Therapy. She's a member of the adjunct faculty at Loyola University Chicago and a podcast host. Her podcast, called Conversations with the Wounded Healer, examines the role of one's own healing while being a caregiving professional. Sarah finds joy and rest by playing with her 10-pound chihuahua mix named Batman. Margaret, how did you meet Sarah? I actually met Sarah a few years ago, and I came across her podcast, Conversations with a Wounded Healer, which, by the way... Everyone listening, please pick up your device right now, and I want you to go on whatever podcast platform where you're listening to our podcast and go follow Conversations with the Wounded Healer. Sarah's podcast has been so life-changing for me. I actually discovered it probably almost four years ago now, and I was on my way to my very unfulfilling job at the time and really just feeling very stuck and lost in my life about where I wanted to go. So I had discovered Sarah's podcast from another friend of mine who's a social worker in the Chicago area, and I started listening to it, and I literally was bawling my eyes out because hearing Sarah talk with her guests about what it's like being a mental health provider right now just really like made me feel like I could do this because I think I had always had this idea in my head that anyone who's in the mental health field must really have their shit together, right? Like they must be these perfect humans that just had the perfect life and now they're here to impart all of their wisdom on us on how to be amazing humans like them. And I really realized that, wow, actually like therapists are just normal people like us. I mean, duh, obviously they have a master's degree. They're super educated, (laughs) but they're just going through the human experience like us and they struggle just like we struggle. And a lot of therapists and people in the field, they're in it because of their own traumas, because they've struggled with addictions. So it really just made me realize that, hey, like I might be a fucked up human, but that doesn't mean that I can't share what I've gone through. And that I can't work through my own trauma and transmute that and turn that into wisdom so that I too can help other people. So honestly, I absolutely credit Sarah Bueno for me making the decision to go to school to be a social worker. That's amazing. I feel like in this episode and having this conversation with Sarah, it really opened up like a whole door to me about um, working in the in the mental health field and what it means to be on the other side of that door and really how similar the client and the therapist is. I also love how in this episode we elaborate on how um, all genders relate to therapy and their response to therapy and um, just really like around um, people in general and like why they don't go to therapy or why they choose to go to therapy And then also talking a lot about politics and how um, a lot of the uh, past events within the last two years, you know, since 2020, all of the traumatic things that have happened to us have really impacted America and I mean, pretty much the entire world and how Mm -hmm. that has really shifted things in the mental health field. Absolutely. And I love too how Sarah, she's just interested in all the things we are too. You know, we talk about spirituality, we talk about capitalism and the effects on, you know, people's mental health. So much good content in this episode. So we really, really hope that you all enjoy and that you all love Sarah just as much as we do. And I want to say a huge thank you to Sarah because this was my first time meeting her officially. And it felt like I've known her my entire life. I really took off with this episode and just like I felt so bonded with her and she's such an amazing person (laughs) so please as Margaret said go find her podcast go find her on social media everything will be linked and I hope that you guys love today's episode hey Sarah welcome to unrefined women hi Agnes hi Margaret hello thanks for joining us Well, I'm so excited to be here. 
Me too. <laughs> Margaret, are you excited? Oh, of course. I know ever since we decided we were going to have a podcast, then Sarah and I have been like, we have to do an episode together. So I'm so excited this is actually happening. Yes, 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 yes. And for those who don't know, Sarah, do you want to share a little bit about your podcast and what you do? Sure. Yeah. The podcast is called Conversations with a Wounded Healer. And I interview a variety of different people in healing type professions about the journey of healing self while caring for others. And I'm also a therapist and a speaker and a professor and a dog mom most importantly. Ooh, what kind yeah. of dogs do you have? I mean, I'm just one little baby, but I'm obsessed with him. His name is Batman. He is a, a, like mostly 50% Chihuahua and then a smattering of other things, but he's literally the cutest thing you've ever seen in your life. I'm obsessed. Aww. That sounds Margaret exciting. can confirm, right? Do you follow him on Instagram? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Of course. I love Batman's <laughs> Instagram <laughs> page. <laughs> What's your dog's Instagram? I need to know right now. <laughs> A dog named Batman 60618, which is our zip okay. code. I'll go follow him. Yeah, please. So yeah, cute. he's the cutest. <laughs> All right. So let's dig into what you do, who you are. Um, I guess like start from the beginning. Like what's your story? Where, where do you come from? What are you about? I love it. I am from Southern Ohio, a little town outside of Cincinnati called Fairfield, I the I mean like from the very very beginning before I even popped my little self out of the womb there's a little bit of controversy controversy as to um, when I was conceived um, and kind of questions around how that that came to be and I've really recognized recently how much even that just had an impact on who I became and. A month and sh a month and just like a handful of days before I was born, my my mom's sister killed herself, and that then also sort of shaped who I was to become. And as a kid, I had a really hard time. I knew something was wrong, but I couldn't put my finger on it because nobody was touching me inappropriately that I was aware of. Um, you know, nobody was screaming at me. And, well, my dad was, but he wasn't around very much. So, oh, it was only once a week, you know. Um, nobody was hitting me other than spanking, which is what everyone got at the time. I know I'm I'm a tad bit older than, than the two of you, but oh, no, we got we it. Got, yeah, we, we got, got spanked. You, uh, well, yeah, that's. I think that might be like a religious thing, right? Oh yeah, like oh, super yeah, Christian sure. families do that. Yeah. So and then yes, I was raised in a in a Christian household. My my dad being a staunch. Uh, I don't know, maybe agnostic. I'm not sure if he would have said agnostic or atheist, but my mom um, would say Jesus was her best friend. And so I got all kinds of fun messages around my body and sexuality. And I thought, this place sucks. I want to get out of here. And as soon as I could move out, I did. And I knew it's, it's funny. I knew I wanted to be a therapist, but when I was growing up, nobody talked about other than being a psychologist, and I knew I didn't want to like go to 12,000 years of school, nobody talked about how to do that. And so it, it wasn't until I had a therapist myself who was a social worker, and she said, you know, it's only a two-year degree and you don't have to take the GRE, right? And I was like, bye. And I literally like signed up within a week. And uh, here I am now with a, a private practice that I'm getting ready to hopefully sell to my executive director and and go on to bigger and better things we shall see nice wait how old were you um when you first I guess went to school for all of this I think was I 29 or 20 maybe 28 or 29 when I started grad school so I already okay. had started a career in arts administration uh yeah Margaret and I share music music was my undergrad major okay yeah what do you play I sing Oh, I love it. Oh, any? she says. <laughs> I, I did not know that. Do you have music like out? I don't know. I'm curious. Not, not really. A friend and I, uh, we have one song left to finish. And for him, he had written the the music probably literally 15 years ago. And then 10 years ago, he and I got in a band together, started writing things, wrote 
wrote most of an album, but then the band broke up and uh, and we never did anything with the songs. And then during the pandemic, he's like, oh, you want to finish these? So we just have one left to record and I still have to like write a new chorus because I hate the chorus. So not yet. Okay. That was a long answer to a very simple question. <laughs> <laughs> one day, one day. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I did not know that. So um, you went to grad school and you got your degree in social work. Mm-hmm. Master's of social work. And what happened then? What did you what did you do with that? I started working in a um, community mental health center for families and, and teens working with uh, a lot of teens in in one of one of the rougher areas in Chicago, and so it was one of the things that I I remember very very staunchly was feeling like I shouldn't be wearing my wedding ring when I went to the office because it's a little sparkly and shiny and I felt like an asshole because I was like these people don't have the privilege that I have and it was really interesting to look back and be like what wow what <laughs> what profound white fragility that was <laughs> that I was like so extra sensitive about that but um yeah, that was really, really hard work because the kids had really difficult circumstances that were unsolvable, largely, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of, you know, systemic family issues and and cultural issues. And, you know, I'm sure everybody knows now about the issues in Chicago public schools because they're currently fighting right now about whether or not to go back in person with COVID. So it was I really cut my teeth in a really difficult job. Okay, interesting. And do you feel like that was a good example for other people that are like the the job that you did and working in, you know, that part of Chicago and working with people that have such profound and unsolvable issues? Do you think that that um, is something that you wish that other social workers would experience? Like, do you think that that really established um, good uh, values in your work now? What a very thoughtful question. Um, I'm going to have to sit with that for a second. You know, I'm not going to tell anybody what else, you know, what else to do. I think the field has changed, at least in the Chicago market, where when I graduated, the only option was community mental health, um, social services type jobs. Nobody in private practice was interested in hiring somebody right out of school. I couldn't get a job in a treatment center until I had my clinical license, which is what I really wanted. I really wanted to work with alcoholics and addicts, um, and I couldn't yet. And so I kind of knew, like, if I want to work with people who have emotionally stunted growth, why don't I go to work with <laughs> adolescents who have emotionally stunted growth? And that'll be a direct line um but the the field has changed in that a lot of folks do graduate and go right into private practice and you know I just had this conversation with my students a couple weeks ago at the end of the at the end of December the end of the semester and it's I mean it it depends on age it depends on experience that we did just hire a student right out of grad school for a very particular position um and so like she has a very small caseload and we're kind of working her up to the point where you know she feels like she can really support uh, clients in private practice um but there's a lot of students that I probably wouldn't hire right out of grad school and I would think would need to get a little bit of boots on the ground I needed what did I need? Why did I need that? I know I needed it. I needed that experience. And I'm, I can't even tell you why. It's funny. I'm a little speechless about it right now. But what did I go ahead? It sounds like it was meant, meant to happen. Like it was just one of those um, tracks or tracks in life where it was specifically catered to you and where you needed to be at that point of your life, as well as influence the people that you worked with. Because, you know, Margaret and I, we grew up in uh, like very unhealthy circumstances. And same. We, yeah, we never had access to um, mental health care or um, just someone to help us. And I remember a few times, I'm not sure if you remember Margaret, but CPS would get called like once oh, a yeah. year, <laughs> once every other year. 
And it was just swept under the rug. Like the amount of CPS people that would come to her house or someone at my school would call and something would happen. And it just got swept under the rug because, you know, Mm. my mother was too scared or someone was protecting someone. Yeah. And there was no one there to help us. I, for myself, I never even saw a therapist until I was eight. 18 almost 19 years old what about Mm -hmm. you Margaret when did you first see a therapist oh gosh I was married to my husband I think he and I tried couples therapy for a while but our our marriage was doomed from the start so (laughs) but now (laughs) now now I've been in therapy myself for almost four years and actually my therapist just retired like this last month oh no I I mean good for her but sad for you He's a guy, actually. Oh, but okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just retired, so mm. I'm I'm sad, and I'm I'm in the market for a new therapist. Mm-hmm. But and actually, I kind of want to talk about this, you know, if yeah. we get a chance. But it is hard finding a therapist right now. Oh my it gosh! Is. Because I am looking for a therapist for myself, but also for my son, because you know mm-hmm. he is an adolescent going through a pandemic. Like shit is tough right now in the world, yeah. and I want my kid to have some support. But every therapist office I call is fully booked; they're yeah. not accepting new clients. We we are also in the middle of a mental health crisis, and therapists, yeah. as I know from your work, Sarah, and listening to your podcast, therapists are burnt out, and We're rightfully tired. so. Mine just retired. I can't blame them. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So I, yeah, I've been going to therapy for for four years, but now I got to find a new therapist, and it's tough. It's tough out there right now. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and it just that made me reflect on when I started going to therapy. I was I was seventeen, and I remember knowing that my mom wouldn't be okay with it, and I was afraid that she would have to sign a consent form and there was a, a girl I was friends with who lived not too far from me and we were in show choir together. And I, th- I think her mom was either a therapist or, or a doctor. She somehow was adjacent to the, the field and she helped me find a therapist and she let me know that at 17 I could consent for treatment myself um, and get it whether my mom wanted me to or not. And that's basically pretty much been in therapy ever since. So what is whatever 42 minus 17 is, that's how many years I've been in therapy. <laughs> I'm not good at math. Me neither. That's why I asked you to do it. (laughs) So, I mean, as a therapist, you probably have to be in therapy too, I would imagine, right? Like, is that... Well, one would imagine, but not all therapists are. Really? See, I feel like that would Mm -hmm. just, like, in my mind, you know like being in social work school and one day maybe going to be a therapist. I don't know which, which track I'm going to take, but I'm like, I'm going to be in therapy for the rest of my life. Right. Like I would just think that that would be a prerequisite, but. Well, apparently it used to be a prerequisite for people going through the the process to become a therapist, but it's at some point that was taken out of curriculums. I guess it's not that academic and truthfully there aren't a lot of programs that really focus on the therapist as a person and who we are in the room and 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 all that we all the work that we need to do in order to really show up for people so that's one of the reasons that I have the podcast that I do is really encouraging therapists to do the deep work that I believe we have to do in in order to take our clients you know where they want to go I have to ask it since you you know own your business or you run your business what how do you define a good therapist and a bad therapist oh am I gonna get in trouble let's see (laughs) so the complaints that I hear from people that I would consider someone being a bad therapist is somebody a therapist who doesn't talk right somebody who just would be like "Mm mm-hmm how do you feel about that Mm mm-hmm because I, I, there, it, it's not advice giving, but the therapist has has to have some sort of relational presence. And I think what makes therapy important is the relationship that happens between the therapist and the client. Um, a, 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 I guess a shared empathy and challenging at the same time. 
You know, I think that might be a, a common myth. People think that they go into therapy to feel better, but sometimes we actually have to challenge you to shift things that aren't working for you, that aren't helping you get what you want. And that can often be more painful in that in that process as we're kind of shedding some of those layers. So a therapist who doesn't do that, I, I, I don't think they're doing very much. And, and personally, I'm, I'm not a fan of behavioral therapies like CBT and DBT. I definitely think that there's a place for learning skills, um, but I'm just of the belief that we can't, we can't think our way out of certain feelings, especially when they're related to trauma, which I all, literally all of us now have been through trauma since we've been through a pandemic. So there's literally no one on this earth who can say that they've not been traumatized now. There's no excuse to, to say that you don't need therapy. And I mean, I guess that's kind of the, the, the opposite side of not being able to find a therapist. The good thing is more people are reaching out and asking for help now. Did that answer so I, your question sufficiently? Oh, or do you yeah. have any specific oh, yeah. questions about what's good and what's not good? <laughs> no, I, I think that that's very broad. Um, I've only ever had one therapist in my life, so I don't have much mm -hmm. to compare, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I do have to ask on the other side of the spectrum, let's talk about clients or pe uh, possible clients. There, I have met a lot of people in my life, I'm sure obviously all of you people that resist therapy and they they don't want it They're like oh I don't need that or I don't like talking about the, my and feelings it's the people who really need it too oh <laughs> <No>. yeah <laughs> and like you know the people that take it as an insult or just anything like that like what what are your thoughts on that or what do you have to say about two people that think that well I guess I'm sad I'm sad for them because I mean, I, I, I cannot imagine not wanting to learn about myself, not wanting to know the depth of my soul and my inner working. Like, it just sounds super boring to live a life where I'm not really investigating all of that. And it, I, I find it sad. And I, I know people like that, too. And, and luckily, I feel like it's getting less and less. I think the stigma has shifted quite a bit. And Agnes, I think your generation is probably highly responsible for that. Um, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, because you're, wait, you're in your 20s, right? Margaret at least is 30 now, right? Uh, yep, I'm 30. Okay, yeah. <laughs> wait, Agnes, how old are you? Did you just turn 20? I just turned 20 babies yeah. oh my god we're representing three decades how beautiful oh, yeah. <laughs> i love it yeah but i do think gen z is especially responsible for normalizing therapy so well done well done y'all i love gen z i say this all the time i'm a millennial i freaking love gen z and I'm a music teacher, so I'm around Gen Z kids all the time. And I'm always like, I swear, if any generation's going to save the world, it's Gen Z. I love Gen Z. I well, feel like they are. I feel like Ma yeah. Margaret and I are almost swapped because I'm. I act more like a millennial, and you act more like a Gen Z. Oh, funny. How? Oh, because I'm the okay. one on TikTok. <laughs> yes. I don't know, Sarah. Have you ever seen her TikTok? I have. Was it you who was in the one? There was one where you were like, the sister comes over and you're going to do witchy things and you're like dancing and it's so cute. It's was that all you, Agnes? It's I don't all know. No, it was, there was a sister. This was like right at the beginning of your TikTokness. Oh, I think it was the oh. two of us and we were like twerking. Yeah. But I don't know. It was know something what super cute. But Sarah, I don't know which TikTok account you follow because I have mine, the oh. Conscious Lifestyle, but then we have ours, the Unrefined Women TikTok. Oh, I haven't followed that one yet. Oh my god, oh, yeah. I'm behind. It's spicy, but it's all it's all Margaret, and I feel so bad because most of our people, the are people that follow us, because we kind of are getting a big following on TikTok. Yeah, our TikTok's and blowing up. She just sent me Margaret just sent me a, a picture of our TikTok, and what was it? It says right here. 230 likes and she's like oh just popping on tiktok like girl i don't know where you're getting those likes hey, okay but she's so margaret you're so creative and i mm -hmm. like i'm gen z I, i'm the one that's like i should have all these ideas that i i can't i probably have like maybe five tiktoks up i just i can't bring myself to do it <laughs> i can't either it's a lot of work so congratulations, it is it's so margaret. much work it's much easier to just post a picture and that's enough work in and of itself Oh my God, coming up with a caption? Like, help me God. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, Margaret's so like, she can do literally everything. So she can play all the instruments, right? Do you sing as well? I do not, actually. That's okay, she well, is so, so she, good at singing. Margaret okay, oh, shut she up. plays all the instruments. <laughs> so she can sing. She makes jewelry. She, like, does crystals and potions. And you're a mom and all these things. You're very, very talented. Oh, thank you. Yeah. We'll just our name our podcast, Praising Margaret. Yay! Aw, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, thanks, guys. <laughs> Welcome. All right, let's so, branch Oh, were you going to say Margaret? Oh, I was. No, go ahead, Agnes. I do have a question, but maybe you're already segueing into it. Okay, I'm going into spirituality. Oh, I have one question before we get into spirituality, but this might be a nice uh, segue in. So, Sarah, I actually have a question because you're a mental health worker right now in this crazy world. So I'm curious, you know, obviously without violating client confidentiality, can you share a little bit about what you're seeing happening from a therapist perspective? with all the folks' mental health right now during this time Mm -hmm. of the pandemic and social and political unrest? Yeah. Well, my my caseload is very small, so I don't have a good, um, like a good pulse personally with my clients, though I guess what what I've seen with my clients, I I think mm, all but one of my clients are women and the women are tired because they're doing so much work. I have a client of color who's been really impacted by the racial reckoning that happened. Um, And then, you know, talking to my staff and the clients that they see, people are freaking the fuck out right now. I mean, what what people have said about Omicron is is a fear that, oh, we're back to the beginning where everything started. Um, I think people are just really scared that we're not going to be able to get back to any any sort of normalcy in our lives. And I mean, this is this is a chronic trauma, right? It's been it will be two years. There's like COVID is clearly not going away before, you know, the beginning of March 2022. And so, you know, we are we've gone through a chronic trauma and so everybody's systems are stressed nervous systems are crazy out of whack and so it becomes harder to you know cope and have patience and tolerate the things that we normally would be able to tolerate when we have all of our coping skills so it's it's rough it really is rough out there right now how do you feel politically because I'm a political science major and oh yeah I've learned lots of spicy things yeah <laughs> um how do you feel let's let's backtrack to the election because sure. I I like thinking about like talking about it sure um how do you feel cuz not only did we our country experience the trauma of the pandemic but I think this last election was extremely traumatic and changed a lot about our country and just you know you get it but yeah how do you feel like do you feel like how, I guess expand on politics and mental health like yeah do you think that there is like a significant um uh, correspondence between the two the the personal is political right I don't know whose quote that is but that I I believe that that's true and you know I think if we go back to even 2016 when Trump was elected, that that's when, I mean, I felt a constriction happen at that time. And I didn't know until we got the clear that Biden was elected and my body was able to release for the first time in four years. And I wept. It was so beautiful. I, I heard there were a bunch of like celebrations out and I was too scared, obviously, in the midst of COVID. But I just drove around some of the neighborhoods where I heard there were parades and celebrations. And I I had my windows down and I was like singing Sia out the car at the top of my fucking lungs. And I was like, we're still alive. We fucking made it. And it really felt like like it was life or death. And I still feel, you know, we've got a little bit of of breathing room right now, even obviously things are going the way we want them to. But politically, at least we don't have, you know, a fascist in the White House. And I think I read an article the other day that gave some examples of of ways that we can be engaged politically because this it's not going to get better. Like, I think the next election is going to be even more tumultuous and 
from from things that I've read and seen, it sounds like more of the country is liberal than not. But a lot of districts and Agnes, you probably know a lot more about this, but a lot of districts seem to be like gerrymandering so that the um, so that Republicans get to stay in power. And it's I, I, I don't know. I've been trying to learn from history to better understand where we are now. But of course, we're impacted by the political systems and and the way that that we interact with our government impacts our mental health and whether or not we feel supported and like anybody gives a shit about us. Absolutely. I I think that's an awesome response. And um, there's such a huge debate around um, what kind of like political structures we want in our country. You know, we Mm -hmm. have communism, socialism and capitalism. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's like other sections of that. And just other shit <laughs> but um there's such a huge argument and even today me and my coworkers, i mentioned something about uh you margaret i was like oh my my sister she hates capitalism and i said it like you know because i hate capitalism <laughs> and my coworkers are like oh what capitalism is such a privilege <laughs> and i'm thinking to and i live in arizona yeah just privilege for, for you <laughs> right yeah <laughs> I I think that like there's just so much um, uh, there's so much separation when it comes to mm-hmm. these ideas because um, the reason why I chose political science as a major is because my our, my country my education system and my peers or teachers failed to educate me on what the fuck is going on politically and even now That's so well said <laughs> yeah. I, in the school that I'm in, and right now I'm still kind of, I'm still taking my gen eds, I'm early on, but a lot of my classes are are chosen specifically for my major. And a lot of the classes want me to write like my final paper around um, just my major in general. And a lot of, I so I'm basically rewriting the same shit, which is pretty fun and entertaining. But um, I, I talk a lot about how our country has failed to teach us on these matters so most of the ideologies that we have about politics and everything else like gender sexuality um uh, mental health like all of that is just a facade it's this Mm -hmm. like uh it's this like fake creation that we've like come up in our head about meritocracy too right absolutely it's what our parents are telling us to believe and it's like we all of us just walk around carrying these like fake little worlds that we have created in our heads and you know one person may think like oh i don't like communism or socialism because we're going to turn into russia or i love capitalism because i can do whatever i want and it's but, but that's like the furthest thing from the truth. Socialism is just giving a fuck about other people and sharing, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. I, just listened, I just listened to a podcast yesterday that was about, I guess, really the, the father of American socialism. And uh, basically, yeah, it was, it was just about caring for other people. Absolutely. And I, I was even today just reflecting on... Um, what the difference between America's version of capitalism mm-hmm. and yeah. the stereotypical version of communism, like the, the bad right. shit, you know, right. the, the North Korea shit. Right. And it's pretty damn similar. Right. I mean, right. Look at, look at that. People are like, I don't want to live in countries like Russia or wherever that are communism because all their buildings look the same and it looks like very like gross. Well, have you gone outside? <laughs> Right. Have you gone to the suburbs? Yeah. <laughs> right? Oh my god. And or all the pr- or the prison, all the prison camps. Uh, yeah. Look at our incarceration rate right now. Right. Right. Absolutely. And right. Uh, my partner and I, we just moved from California, and we loved California. It was great while it lasted until we realized that everyone there is in debt and everyone there is broke, and we did mm. not. We wanted to save more money and get out of there. But I realized that we're all making the same income anyway like I I mean they might be like digitally different but we're all living the same lifestyle oh god pay my credit cards you know your paycheck comes through and your money's gone it's like yeah we're that's the I don't really see what's so capitalistic about the way that we're living right now 
You have well, the... F- what I understand, too, about anti-capitalism, it's it's not about not making money, but it's about being in right relationship with money. So am I, am I using my money for things that are nourishing to me, that are moving me towards my goals, right? Like me having a gym membership is great because that's like me taking care of my body, me overspending, you know, going shopping on Amazon, not great because that's just creating, you know, more waste in the world and more, you know, fumes from the, the cars that are delivering them every minute. And, you know, am I, am I sharing, right? Am I giving back to people who don't have the same access to wealth that I do? Cause I'm a white woman who married into a family that has money and, I mean, I, I, I do think that we should share to some extent, but I guess the other thing that I've also been hearing about is is the, the shift to, you know, shifting the capitalist system right now isn't going to affect people like me who make under $300,000 a year. It's people who are making like billions and billions of dollars, like, like what, like the five people that are, that those are the people who need to give it up and share it. And I just... I don't know. I really I don't know what economic system is going to end up working for us. But I think I don't know. I'm a little disillusioned by this country's ability to give a shit about other people just based on, you know, the anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers. Like, I just I don't see people caring about one another anymore. And that that is what makes me the most sad. That's the worst thing I think that's come out of the pandemic Absolutely. And I think that that's where we have a lot of um, people praising the newer generations um, Mm -hmm. and how, I guess you'd say like woke they're getting with access to um, TikTok and all of that. But hopefully Mm -hmm. that's right. Hopefully newer generations are able to become more educated and help Mm -hmm. and And just give a shit about it. Yeah. Just give a shit about it. Yeah. 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 Jeff Bezos doesn't need a super yacht. (laughs) Jeffrey, Jeffrey Bezos. <laughs> You've seen that, right? Oh my god. Oh yeah. My Bo son Burnham, please sings call that me. song. <laughs> call me. I love you. All right. So let's, should we talk about spirituality? Yes. Um, I have a question here. I'm just gonna read it yes. off my phone so I don't go off on a tangent. <laughs> um, how has spirituality affected your mental health? Did you find yourself becoming more spiritual as you prioritized your mental health or has spirituality always been established in your life? Mm. Um, because my mom was super religious and I didn't want to be like my mom, I, I really pushed spirituality away for a long time. Um, and it wasn't until my mom died that I, I felt like I could figure out whatever my relationship was with whatever I call God. And I still like, I'm okay using the word God. Um, but I don't, I still don't know what that is. Like it's not Mm -hmm. a a dude in the sky, you know, wearing a judge's robe. (laughs) I've decided that's not what God is. Um, but I don't know what God is. Um, and the intertwine, but I mean, it's, it's, they really are inextricable, I think, for me, because both my parents died in, in 2014. And so if that's when my spiritual awakening began, obviously, I was dealing with grief at the same time as well. And so there was so much complexity. And in spirituality, I found, I found like, just connection to something greater than myself, connection to others knowing that I'm not the only one suffering that truly helps me feel like I'm not a crazy person and I mean it's taken a long time for me to like really truly in in an embodied way believe that because I really did not love myself I really hated myself truly and that it wasn't until I went to a trauma treatment program last summer I was where I really began to love myself I think for the first time you know, at the age of what, 41, I guess, at that point. Um, so yeah, spirituality and, and mental health for me are totally intertwined. And, and I'm always, you know, I, I, I'm not going to tell people they have to believe in something greater than themselves. But I'm always a little sad when people push spirituality away, and they and they judge it. And I always think that's 
probably just from their own spiritual wounding that they haven't gotten an opportunity to to cultivate an authentic spirituality for themselves because of whatever's been getting in the way. Interesting. And how do you feel like organized religion has um, either in your own experience or from people you've met throughout your career, how do you feel like organized religion affects people, both negative and positive? Yeah, I mean, the only organized religion I can speak to is Christianity because that's that's my only experience with it. Um, you know, from from what I've read and listened to and and watched, the evangelical form of Christianity really troubles me and concerns me. You know, I I think that the religion itself to me, I don't know is the problem. I think it's the the people who are at the head of churches who do not examine their relationship to power. I think that's where everything really falls down is, you know, I can't remember who somebody, somebody, I don't know. I watch and listen to too many things, so I can't remember what my mm -hmm. fucking sources are. But, mm -hmm. but somebody said like, as soon as somebody gets put on a pedestal, they have a choice. They can either change in relation to the power that they're given or they can do everything they can to try to stay the same. And I, I think there are way too many examples of religious leaders who just went out of control with power um, when, when they got it. And then if somebody is really likes that feeling of having power over people, then they're just going to continue to want more and more and more. And I, I do think that that's a lot of, of what's been happening in the evangelical movements that scares the shit out of me, truthfully. Absolutely. And I've seen a lot on like social media as well, talking about how dangerous um, a lot of these ideologies can be, especially on teenagers. And yeah. not only, you know, just for my, from my own experience, like there are a lot of sectors of religion where they do promote um, like homophobia and racism yeah. and all these horrible things that are grooming children into becoming these hateful people. Mm -hmm. And which then creates this trend of, them then traumatizing their children or, or their mm -hmm. peers or people around right. them and it's just constantly going and uh like it's it honestly it's very disturbing to me when I see it, it it's hard for me to not get angry you know yeah. at these yeah. you know not so much I'm sure there's there, there are great people that are part of religion mm -hmm. but I think it's created this trend of trauma and um just horrible shit in this world mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. It, you know, any it, if it's Christian, you know, Christianity that we're talking about, because I think that's where the three of us have experience with, you know, any religion that's not actually teaching you to be like Jesus, like get the fuck out. Like what yeah. are you talking about? Like Jesus mm -hmm. was hanging out with whores and lepers like mm -hmm. Jesus was a socialist, you guys. <laughs> Jesus was a hippie. Yeah. Jesus was like freaky. Jesus was down for whatever. I'm sorry, that might be Jesus someone's going to come freaky. for me. Someone's <laughs> going to come for me. But I mean, Jesus was love. And so religions that are preaching anything other than that, I, I think that's that's not it and there's a, a religious scholar and activist named Robin Henderson Espinoza who I follow and I've gotten to interview them a couple times and and I mean they really know like the history of religion and dogmas and and all sorts of things and and they're working really really hard to try to bring bring people who are indoctrinated in that sort of dogma uh, to a place of, of more compassion and, and empathy that is more Jesus-like. So Absolutely. follow them. Yeah. And I've learned um, throughout my own research, religion is purely culture. And you can look back and, you know, find these origins of these religions. And I think there is immense amount of beauty and history in religious text and in these religious 
cultures but throughout time it's just i guess human nature flaws the flaws of human nature have corrupted that and Mm -hmm. you know said well my culture is the only correct culture because that's something we were taught if you weren't catholic you were gonna burn in hell right and it's like so if you weren't born in the specific part of europe at this right. specific time like you're gonna burn in hell well, but that's why the missionaries go out and they have to preach the gospel everywhere which that's that is one of the worst forms of white supremacy ever mm. is is m- missionary work and i i remember as a kid thinking like that is gross like i i remember i was probably like 12 or 13 and i was like wouldn't like god be smart enough to present himself in whatever way any culture would need to experience him like what that's not our job that's god's job and god will do that and i'm sure people were like pat me on the head like some stupid little girl but i mean i was just always like don't don't get your business in other people's lives Ugh. yeah and I think, but I think you're right. Like you, when you were younger, you were right. Because mm-hmm. isn't that what spirituality is? That's right. someone finding their own authentic version of God and what, whether right. they call him God or not, or she, right. it, whatever. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that that's what spirituality is about. And I'm grateful that I'm able to, I was able to be in the specific part of history and part of my life where I was able to find that because unfortunately a lot of people are falling have fallen victim to um just all the awful shit that organized religion can bring to the table yeah 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 I think that's something that I have felt because I've started reading this year the new testament and I've just been kind of curious like I wow like, I want to read the New Testament now, and I want to read the Gospels. Well, Paul you know, was apparently a dick. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, Paul can go fuck himself. But <laughs> aside from that. <laughs> oh, man. But, like, I'm reading through the Gospels and just, like, taking it all in from, you know, the lens of being outside organized religion. And yeah. honestly, I've been pissed I'm like, mm. what the fuck? Like, okay, I remember, I remember this verse. I remember this verse. I remember this in church and all the and how they took that verse and spun it into some propaganda. Mm-hmm. And then I'll find these like really beautiful verses, um, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, uh, I never heard this one before. They didn't teach us this one in church, you know. And you start right. reading about about Jesus's life here on Earth, and mm-hmm. it's just so beautiful. And mm-hmm. I'm like, damn, like they didn't present it this way in church, and it pisses right. me off. Like they're just taking out certain verses and spinning it a certain way in a very hateful way. And that's what they're dishing up in church on Sunday. Right. And again, that's about power, you know, and, and I, I I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. I would like to believe that not every church community is like that and that there are church communities out there that are actually, you know, practicing love and tolerance and compassion and all those sorts of things. I think the 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 general zeitgeist has us believe that every christian is bad and i i never want to say that because you know i really want to i want to know what somebody believes and how they're going to treat me before i'm just going to make a snap judgment about whether they suck or not (laughs) yeah absolutely because then if we did that we would be just like you know right the religious people that are judging everyone that's not religious so (laughs) yeah So let's sector back to mental health because I just have so many questions. <laughs> um, I feel like from my own experience, there is a huge stereotypical divide between men seeking a therapist or mental a mental health professional and men seeking. Did I say women? Or- women and men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like uh, I most men don't like you said most. What was it? Uh, everyone except for one was mm-hmm. that your your therapist mm-hmm. that uh, most of them are women. And a lot of it goes for clients. I have met so many women in my life that, you know, go to therapy or seek therapy versus men who are just like, no, I'm OK. <laughs> I'll just play my video games. <laughs> Um, what, what is your experience with that and what do you have to say about it? Well, 
I guess I want to address to the gender binary, right? Like now I think we're we're in a time where people who don't identify as just men or women are able to really truly be their authentic selves. And so mm -hmm. it's it's hard it's harder to generalize now because there are so many genders and spaces between man and woman and outside of that that um, it's hard to generalize. But I guess the other the other piece to that that is interesting from my experiences working in alcohol and, and drug treatment centers, you mostly get men. Oh, and okay. I think part of part of that, I, I mean, I think that women, you know, and this is, of course, speaking to the research. And so I'm sorry for just being in the binary here. But but um, generally, women are catching up to men in terms of rates of addiction. Um, but you know, seven years ago when I was working in a treatment center, it was really mostly men. And so that that's who I was working with. And, you know, when you struggle with something like addiction that really truly ruins your life and breaks you down, you have no choice. I mean, you do have yeah. a choice, actually. They could die or they could just, you know, stay in suffering. But a lot of times it feels like they have no choice and they have to come to therapy in order to try to get better. So, you know, I've, I've worked with a lot of men who are really able to go very deep and do a lot of wonderful work. And I'm really proud of the the clients that I have had um, that were able to get sto sober and stay sober um, because of the work that they were doing in, in mental health. So, you know, I think it, it goes back to socialization. And when we think about gender, I'm, I'm hopeful that because we are stepping out of the gender binary that there's going to be less pigeonholing for what a, a, a quote unquote man and a quote unquote woman are supposed to be like. Um, because if we have all these other genders to to contend with and cater with, then well, shit, how about we just treat everybody like everyone should have emotional intelligence and be able to access their feelings, right? Oh my God, wouldn't that be amazing? And everybody gets to be strong and, you know, do whatever stereotypical men are supposed to do like why why does it have to be gendered yeah I think that's really powerful yeah it's like wow what a way to dismantle the patriarchy right there I love how you just like really connected that Sarah like how we're stepping like we're stepping out of the binary and like embracing all the genders like mm -hmm. well, I guess I hadn't like I don't know I hadn't like connected it like how like as like as you did right there that's really cool how that I could be like either. one of the keys Oh, it just well, fell out of my that. mouth. So thanks for asking a <laughs> great question. <laughs> it's like, damn, and look I, at that. That's like the key to dismantling <laughs> the patriarchy. Right. And I do have to say, just to add to that about addiction and alcoholism, I work for a defense attorney law firm mm. and we deal with a lot of DUI cases and mm -hmm. um, situations like that. And it's, it's really sad because you will mm -hmm. have clients that have several cases that are still open because they just keep getting themselves into trouble yeah. or even uh, suicide. It, it happens yeah. often. Uh, clients, yeah. you know, and um, I live in, I, I live in Arizona where I, I feel we, we were blue. Wait, we're in Arizona. Election. We're going to go to Sedona Fe soon. Phoenix. Okay. Well, we're flying but into Phoenix. Maybe oh, we'll, we'll have to see you. I'll, we'll talk after. Okay. That'd be yeah. cool. <laughs> I'm not telling everyone where I'm going to be. <laughs> when? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, it's, it's, it's still very conservative here in the sense yeah. that there's not a lot of awareness when it comes to mental health and just all that good stuff. So it's really sad to be in an environment where I'm seeing firsthand the way that drugs and alcohol affect people's lives and yeah. they don't even have the, um, environment where they feel or are given the opportunity to have to get help because you know they'll be like the attorney's like well you need to take this class and pass Go this class and, and that's yeah. it get your signatures yeah yeah but it's like what is that really doing that's just a chore for them you know and it's crazy that there are so many really fucking good treatment programs in Arizona so it sucks that people don't I mean, lots of people know about them, but clearly not everybody knows about them. So that's really mm -hmm. disappointing. Well, a lot of um, 
I'm not sure what what specifically these treatment centers are, but a lot of these people are low income mm-hmm, or yeah. um, they don't even have, like I said, it's, it's about resources. Like yeah. not everyone knows, like, yeah, technically you could Google it, but not even people don't even know mm-hmm. that they can Google that and they can find that answer on the internet. And well, you want to talk about capitalism too, because if you Google, like, so if I Google a a local treatment center in Chicago, or if I just Google recovery in Chicago, you know what you're going to get? You're going to get all this SEO of treatment centers that aren't even in the fucking city because some capitalists, like, you know, big name corporate treatment centers are trying to gobble up all of the the space on Google. So actually just Googling it is not a good method anymore. You, it's, it's crazy that you almost have to know somebody in the industry in order to figure out where is a good place that somebody can get help. Is that how you would recommend for any of our audience that are looking to just ask a professional? I, yeah. I mean... It, and not all professionals know because most professionals aren't even trained in addiction. So wow. you, you really need to talk to an addiction specialist or a trauma specialist. There are so many good, good places out there and there's a lot of good people. Um, you know, they call them marketing outreach, out, outreach reps and not, not every, you know, person who works in marketing in a treatment center is a good person, but I happen to know a lot of great ones, at least in the Chicago area. And, uh, there's a, there's a lot of good people doing really good work connecting people to to good treatment. Okay. Well, um, before we get wrapped up, Agnes, did you have any final questions? Or Sarah, did you have anything that you wanted to share with our audience today before wrapping up? Well, I just wanted to publicly say how fucking proud I am of the two of you. I This is the first time I'm meeting Agnes, but Margaret and I met... Geez, that must have been back in 2017, I'm guessing, because that's when I had started the podcast and your friend lives near Chicago. You came to visit. We went and had coffee and you were like, I'm going to have a podcast one day and I'm going to do it with my family. And here you are, you fucking badass. Oh, thank you. Yes. (laughs) And accompanied by Agnes, who's a genius that you were hiding, like... Jeez, you can't be 20 years old. You are so wise. Thank you. Thank you. See, I knew I had to get out of the way and just turn the spotlight over for a minute. <laughs> Brilliant. You're, re- you're really just very impressive. I didn't think I was going to get through this because I just finished like a five hour or eight hour work day. And I'm like so oh, exhausted. Lord. I was like, oh, I got to do this interview now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, you did great, kid. Thank you. I'm excited for fun questions, Margaret. I know. It's fun question time. Okay, Sarah, are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. Okay. If you could have one superpower, what would it be and why? Oh, invisibility for sure. I definitely want to spy on people and know what they're doing. (laughs) No question. (laughs) I want to watch you pick your nose and like (laughs) fart when nobody's looking. That's what I want. Oh, God. Please don't. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh i love it yeah Ari, what is your favorite comfort food oh uh, grilled cheese oh yeah grilled oh, cheese any, anything with cheese yeah anything with cheese grilled cheese also potato skins which you can't fucking find anywhere anymore who has a problem with potato skins no restaurants <laughs> make them they're delicious as fuck yeah, I haven't seen them in a while now that you mentioned that. I know, right? All right. I mean, I haven't bring- been to an Applebee's in 20 years, but. <laughs> oh, that's true. They usually have it. But yeah, I haven't been been there either in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> what brings you the most joy right now in your life? Batman, my little baby. Aww. Yes. Aww, I'm excited Batman. for the new Batman movie. Well, that's not my Batman, it? so I don't care. <laughs> I'm Unless so my excited. dog is starring in it, I don't give a shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right, last one. Most important. What okay. are three songs that elicit the strongest emotions for you? I loved this question that it wasn't like, what are your favorite songs? Because that is so different than what songs elicit strong emotions. So, um, I so yeah, I wrote them down because I didn't want to forget. So... Go or Go Ahead by Rufus Wainwright. Do you know Rufus Wainwright? No, but I'm about to. 
Oh, Margaret. He's such a beautiful composer. I mean, he's he's a pop singer, but he's really a composer and has done like a wide variety of things. And this song, Go or Go Ahead, I just listened to it right before because I was like, why is this like my go to like, ugh, like, I don't know, it like kind of like grabs at your heart and squishes it, but in such a beautiful way. And it's really about like the pain of love and the love of pain at the same time. It's so beautiful. And it's, again, it's a pop song, but it's this these beautiful like orchestrations. And you'll, Margaret, as a musician, you will definitely be like, holy shit, there is so much going on in here. <laughs> so definitely check out Rufus. Um, and then another one, I'm dating myself here, but there's a song from Toad the Wet Sprocket called I Will Not Take These Things For Granted. Like, have you ever revisited something from your childhood that was, like, really meaningful, but you, like, didn't know why at the time, and then you go back? Like, when I started doing NARM therapy and the neuroaffective relational model, every time I would leave therapy, this was before the pandemic, I would get in my car and I would want to listen to something that I listened to when I was a kid and I was, like, feeling the suicidal feelings and really struggling. And, and this album was one of the things that came up, and it... The song is so much like I I want to I want to tell you everything and I can't because you can't hear it. And also I'm like feeling the bittersweetness of the pain of my experience. It's just so it's so beautiful. And then the last one might seem cheesy, but I think I have a good reason for it. So it's I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor. Mm-hmm. And it's not. It's not because of the song, but because of my mom singing the song when I was like four or five. I don't even know how old I was, but she was a singer and we would go watch her performances. She sang at this place called the Music Palace where an organ would literally like come up corkscrew from the ground and she would sing. And I Survive was I Will Survive was one of the songs that she sang. And I remember being that young knowing that that is the most truthful my mother ever was and when she was singing that I knew she was singing it about my dad like I knew that they had a bad relationship and they weren't gonna last and that that what she was saying was so true every single word and I just like was weeping and everyone else is like clapping yay Kim is so wonderful and I'm weeping and nobody knew why I was crying but but so every time I, I say and I've sang that song a million times since and every time I sing it I have to like block that out of my mind because it's so it's so painful for me because that was the only time I felt like my mom was really telling the truth was when she was singing I could I could tell the difference wow that's wow. beautiful thank you for sharing the stories behind those as well like what emotion it elicits yeah. from you and, and why that was beautiful yeah well wasn't that the assignment do I get an A you get, you get yes. an A plus. A plus. Yes. <laughs> All right, Agnes, let's close out with our gratitude prompt. Take a deep breath. <laughs> Sarah, what are you grateful for? Batman. Today. <laughs> I know, one Batman. I love him so much. I'm grateful. I, today, I'm really grateful for my staff. Head Heart Therapy is the name of my practice, and I have a management team that are just fucking killing it, and our therapists are so, like, they are doing their own work, and they're also incredible with their clients, so I just, I feel really blessed to have the team that I have. Aw. And Margaret, what are you grateful for? Hmm. I should have been prepared and I'm not. I'm like, Ugh, we're <laughs> never prepared. We're like, oh, this guy. <laughs> oh, I didn't know you were going to ask that. <laughs> what am I grateful for today? Um, This is so bad. I'm grateful that tomorrow I have a day off because we've been moving and I'm so tired. I, like I haven't had like a day off in so mm. long and all of my days off have been consumed with like moving projects. Oh, I hate and that. actually, oh, it's terrible. But actually tomorrow I don't have any students. I have no work. And I actually don't really have anything on my to-do list. So I am very grateful for that. Yay for rest. Yes. Mm-hmm. Agnes, what are you grateful for today? Today, I am grateful for the fact that things tend to work themselves out on their own. <laughs> About like maybe a week or t- a few weeks ago, I uh, was looking at TikTok. I was like, stress relief. <laughs> 
what are ways to like relieve yourself from stress? And so said, like, write down a list of the things that you're stressed about. So I wrote down a list of the things I was stressed about. And recently I went back and found the memo and every single one of the things that I was immensely stressed about didn't even matter anymore. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, sure, you dealt with that. So <laughs> I, I really have a lot of gratitude for the fact that the the universe just tends to make things work and there really is no reason to stress I mean I will anyway but (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah well Sarah thank you so much for joining us today um really quick as well could would you mind sharing your social media handles with our audience so they can go and follow you yeah at head heart therapy is the best place to find me on Facebook or Instagram awesome thank you thank you so much Thank you, Sarah. We believe in the power of taking even one minute a day to breathe and find gratitude in the little things. Wherever you are, if you are able, close your eyes, take a deep breath in and out, and reflect on something that you are grateful for today. We are so honored that you could join us in this discussion today, and we hope you have a beautiful week. If you enjoyed today's Unrefined Woman podcast episode, please be sure to like, subscribe, and share. To check out other episodes, please visit our website at unrefinedwoman.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. To stay in the loop and receive access to additional content, please follow us on TikTok, username unrefinedwoman, and on Instagram at unrefinedwomanpodcasts. Special thanks to Walter Birdsong for the album cover, Margaret Rainey for our podcast music, Andrew Cioni for our gratitude prompt music, and Sean Butcher for editing and production. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week.